Welcome to episode 98 of the Ask Achieve show, where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today, we'll be discussing differences between stiff-legged deadlifts and RDLs, how to prioritize different goals at the same time, if deadlifting is a back or leg exercise, and in-season programming considerations. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. What's up, Achievers? Episode 98. Woohoo! Um, so yeah, again, if you can hear a little bit of static in the background, it's not actually our software or technological stuff. It's uh, it's Kendrick's white noise machine that's going on. He's actually currently sleeping in the bathroom right now where it's pitch black and the white noise can really envelop the whole room. <laughs> we'll probably get like child services called on us. Yeah, like, exactly. Your child is not allowed to sleep in the bathroom. <laughs> but it's a huge bathroom. It's like our guest bathroom. It, it's, actually, it's actually very nice, yeah. It's really nice and it's super spacious. He's nowhere near the toilet or any water. He's totally safe. He's safe, yeah. yeah. Trust us. <laughs> He's trust in us. his little napper, but it's the darkest room in the apartment. So. Yeah. <laughs> So that's what that's that. <laughs> um, um, but he's been sleeping a lot more, which has been very helpful, oh especially gosh. for Lauren. So two two days ago was my birthday. Yeah. And that night, the night of my birthday, like leading into my birthday, he slept for four hours consecutively, which was like the greatest the birthday craziest present PR ever. he could ever have given me. I think the longest he had ever gotten before was like three. So an entire full hour yeah. more. It's crazy. It was crazy. And then he did it again last night. Um, or last night was like three and a half, but still. Yeah. So cool. So the uninterrupted sleep periods are getting longer and longer in the middle of the night, which is so nice. Super helpful. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. Hopefully it keeps going that way. I know there's the whole like sleep regression thing that happens. So I'm sure things keep going up and down, but yeah. we'll celebrate the wins when we take them. <laughs> yeah, we can take them. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather currently. So if I sound a little bit nasally, that's that's why. Um, but... Let's let's the do show it. Must go on. Let's do it. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with um, which one are we starting with? The stiff legged deadlifts. Stiff legged deadlifts. Okay. Yeah. So this one's from B Yogi Be Happy, and she yeah. basically um, asked um, on YouTube. Some people say you should absolutely have straight legs and or locked knees, or else it's not really a stiff legged deadlift. But some say it's complete BS and recipe for injury. <laughs> and stiff means stiff, not straight. And some do it with completely straight legs, but then don't lower the bar completely to the ground between each rep. So some people say it's not a deadlift then because it's not going from the ground, but just a Romanian deadlift with very straight legs. So just a bunch of apparently very pro guys showing different things for the same name. (laughs) Please help. (laughs) Um, This is a really good question because we get this one actually quite often, especially when we post anything about Romanian deadlifts. Um, So the way we teach Romanian deadlifts is with a bent leg. Um, I think there are versions where people do stiff-legged variations where the legs are actually totally straight. Um, now, here's the thing. If you keep your legs actually totally straight and you don't have the mobility to do so, what will happen is you're going to end up having to round your lower back in an effort to get down low enough to maximize the effectiveness of the exercise. So you end up compromising your lower back position. Secondly, even if you do have the flexibility, let's say you are just very mobile throughout your hamstrings and you sit back and you get into a solid position, you're more relying on the passive flexibility of your hamstrings rather than true active uh, uh, contraction from your uh, actual muscles. So we want to see your glutes, your hamstrings, your hips, like your whole lower body contributing to the movement rather than you just rely on this, the hamstring stretching to provide the stability to actually go through the whole movement pattern. Yeah, 
Um, and we, we usually will say, like, for people who do have a little bit more mobility and, like, could do a straight leg deadlift, we still would say to keep their knees soft. Yep. Um, so they don't have to like bend their knees and make it like a true deadlift. Like it is, there is some benefit to doing a little more of a stiff legged deadlift, like getting a little bit more of the stretch reflex in your hamstrings, yep. but we still wouldn't do it with full, like you were saying, we still wouldn't do it with fully straight legs and just soft knees will just give you enough ability to shift your weight back a little bit more. Cause that's the other thing is that you can't really shift your weight back when you're doing a straight, true straight leg deadlift. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're not getting any glute activation in that case as well. So soft knees and allowing a little bit of a hip shift back is what we think is ideal. Yeah. I know there are some like weightlifting coaches that will put their athletes in weightlifting shoes and have them go completely stiff legged, um, especially if they have the mobility to do so. You know, if that's the case and it's for a very specific reason, I don't think there's really anything wrong with it. So, you know, we're not like stiff like a deadlift or the worst thing ever. We just think and have seen over time that a lot of people just don't have that mobility and they can still get plenty of hamstring activation even with a slight knee bend and shifting their weight back. So that's the way we choose to do it. And we think that there's a, you know, lesser chance of potential injury, uh, by doing so. Yeah, there's other options for strengthening your, like for really targeting your hamstrings. It doesn't have to be a deadlift variation that could potentially put your lower back at, at risk, right? Yeah. So you could do hamstring curls or glute ham raises, or there's like a lot of different very hamstring specific exercises that you can do if that's what you're looking to target that doesn't require as much mobility and flexibility. So it's just a little bit overall, like in general for most people, a little bit safer. Yeah, definitely. Cool. Cool. All right. Question number two. This one is from Super Cage. <laughs> uh, how do you prioritize the many different athletic goals you might have concurrently? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Um, you know, I think we can broaden this out from just athletic goals to just like multiple goals that you might have going on at the same time beyond just athletics. Um, and the way we kind of look at it is... We try to, even even if you have multiple goals, we still try to have you prioritize which ones are most important. So let's say you have you have an Olympic lifting goal and you have a powerlifting goal and you have an overhead kettlebell press goal and you've got all these different things. Pick the one that you would be most happy to actually succeed at and then just rank them in order. And the way I typically go about things, and you can uh, jump in with your, um, your own opinions, Lauren, mm-hmm. is... Throughout the training session, we like to put at the forefront the goal that is the most important for that person. So if the kettlebell press is the most important, we'll put that at the beginning of the workout, like not before the warm-up or the power exercise, but after those two, we'll put that as their basically like their main lift. And then let's say they want to also increase their back squat, but it's less of a priority. We'll put that um, more towards the middle or maybe towards the end, depending on their goals and priorities. Um, so we can structure it that way where we put the most amount of attention and the most amount of, uh, the, the best position where fatigue won't be as much of a factor. So it's in the beginning of the workout and also throughout the beginning of the week. So if you work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and you're freshest on Monday, we'll also place it on that Monday. And maybe we'll place the other exercises towards the end of the week where maybe fatigue starts to play a factor, um, you know, and all that sort of good stuff. Yeah. I would say if the goals, if what they're talking about is, all like performance-based goals that are conflicting, that's exactly what I would say. Mm -hmm. It's funny because when I read the question, in my mind, the conflicting goals were more like, I want to lose weight and I want to get strong. 
Oh, or, yeah. Which is like, and it, so totally. who knows what this person was referring to, but because I, I, that's something that I've dealt with in the past. It's yep. like wanting to have weight loss as a goal, but also really wanting to focus on strength training. And are those things conflicting or, or are they complementary? That's a, a whole different conversation and debate, yep. and more likely they are com- complementary than anything else. Um, but even like, um, wanting to lose weight, but wanting to do a triathlon, those actually are a little bit more conflicting That's because true. a lot yeah. of times with triathlon training, you're not able to strength train as much. And so you might lose some muscle mass and you may be eating a lot more because you have to, you really have to fuel those workouts and you might not be able to lose weight and triathlon train at the same time. For some people, all the activity of the triathlon is more than they were doing before and they will lose weight. So yeah. it's really interesting because I think a lot of times people think like, oh, these two things aren't going to go hand in hand and I have to pick one. Um, and it it's not always that black and white. It's not always that cut and dry. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't mean one th- focusing on one thing doesn't mean that your other goal won't happen um, necessarily. But it, it does, like Jason was saying, like it does help to just say like, this is my number one priority and this is like what I hope will happen alongside it. Mm-hmm. That might be a good way of balancing those those things. So yeah. instead of saying like, I want to do this and I want to do this and if I don't do both at the same time, I'm a failure. Like, I want to do this and by doing this, I hope that also this, this and this will happen. Yeah. Um, so choosing the top priority, like Jason was saying, um, is definitely would be my advice too. Like you do kind of have to narrow it down to a top thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can have multiple goals, but you know, choose which one definitely resonates the most with you at that time. Yeah. And it's hard to, and, and right. And at that time is a perfect mm-hmm. like <laughs> statement to, to say, because it's totally fine for your priorities to shift and for things to change. And even if you don't meet the goal that you were originally working on and you decide like, you know what, that wasn't that fun for me. Like I decided that I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. It doesn't mean that you failed. Like you just decided to switch your goals and that's totally fine. So allow yourself to be fairly fluid with your training and with your goal setting and don't get too attached or too stuck to one specific thing that you want to accomplish unless it continues to be extremely important. To yeah. You. And actually going off of the the time periods and phases and also what you were talking about in terms of like more endurance athletes who are trying to balance out strength training, um, we'll go through periods of time where they are in an off season, quote unquote, for their running or their triathlete, their endurance um, endeavors. And we'll go into more of a strength phase where maybe they're working out three to four times a week and doing a lot of strength training. And maybe they work uh, out from an endurance standpoint, like one to two times a week. But then once they're in season, we will back off on the strength stuff and add in more, obviously, endurance-based activities. Um, And so at any given point throughout the year, those priorities start to fluctuate and change based upon the needs of that particular season. Um, And so that's kind of one way you can look at it as well. Yeah. Totally. Cool. Alrighty. Uh, question number three. This one's from DG Stein 15. They said, where should I put deadlifting in my workout plan? Is it when I'm working my legs or my back? Um, I think, you know, you could probably make a case for either for yeah. this situation. Um, we tend to place it on, um, we tend to categorize deadlifts as a lower body exercise because we really, um, the way we coach it, we really make sure that people's hips aren't shooting up as they lift and turning it into more of a back exercise, but really getting their hips a little bit lower and making sure that they're driving through the floor with their legs. So, you know, that's how we categorize it. But I I think there definitely is, um, you could make a case for the back. Absolutely. I mean, it really is a a lower body. It's a total body exercise. Yeah. It really is. Like you're using everything. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And you're doing them right. So I, you know, uh, we did, uh, we did film an an exercise like um, series for Instagram uh, recently that we're about to post, um, but it's basically 
a, a series of different exercises for your back specifically. And there's actually a couple different variations of deadlifts in there. Um, one of them is a snatch grip Romanian deadlift. So your arms are out pretty wide, almost like double or two and a half times your normal um, like conventional deadlift setup. And then you're performing an RDL. And just being in that position, just having the bar in constant tension in your hands with the RDL and having the hands out that wide and producing that big of a lever on your shoulders, um, it just triggers a lot of upper back and mid back activity. Um, also pause deadlifts can have a significant impact on your uh, just overall back um, stability and alignment. Um, things like that can really uh, have a profound effect on your back. Um, but yeah, deadlifts, we tend to categorize still as a lower body exercise. Yeah, I think that's perfect. If you're using a deadlift as your main lift, put it as lower body. Yeah. If you're looking for uh, some extra mid-back, upper back strength in like an accessory lift yeah. on an upper body day, and you want to do something like Jason said, like a snatch grip RDL, um, or even like dumbbell RDLs, that, that's totally still going to work your back, and it's not, but it's not going to be um, as taxing as a, a straight deadlift, which really should be prioritized as like your main lift of the lower body day. Yeah. And you know, having said all this as well, even though we lump it into a lower body exercise, we are very cognizant of if someone has, let's say, you know, a more, um, you know, a, a less, a less tolerable back to a lot of stress, then what we'll do is instead of pairing deadlifts and also incorporating some other bent over like back exercises, we'll make sure to lay off some of that because we don't want them to be in too much of a hinge position um, because that stress adds up over time. Um, and so, yeah, we, we basically just don't want to add too much stress on the back. So we, we still do treat it as a back exercise in the back of our minds as well. <laughs> right. It's so. like, yeah, if we're going to, if we're going to categorize it, it's lower body, but it's, there's no denying that it also works your back and yeah. keep that in mind when you're programming everything else around it. That if you do a heavy deadlift day, you don't necessarily, if you're doing like a total body workout, if you're doing heavy deadlifts at the beginning, you don't necessarily have to do a lot of back work as your accessory lifts because you already did get a lot of that done in totally. your deadlift. Yes. Yeah. Cool. All right. Did you have anything else to add? I feel like you took oh, no, a breath like you wanted to say one more No, thing. I thought that was great. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So this is the last question for today. It's from Chris R. Hawk. And they said... Going... What a cool name, by the way. Yeah. Chris, Chris R. Hawk. Hawk. Sounds like he should be a skateboarder. Yeah. Is there a Tony Hawk? Tony Hawk. <laughs> I was like, I feel like, why am, <laughs> I, why am I thinking of that? Okay. <laughs> it's like if his name is Chris Jordan, you're like, oh, it sounds like a basketball player. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Hawk is, an, is a unique lesson. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, going from a preseason training program to in-season, should you reduce training volume? Um, yes. So we touched on this a little bit earlier in terms of like uh, from someone who's going from an off-season to an in-season program in terms of like running and like strength training. But let's say let's go with just like a classic sport like football or basketball, like one of those sports. If you are going from preseason to in-season – we typically go from preseason where we really try to um, try to peak them as much as possible. Uh, we, we've had a lot of ultimate frisbee players, for example, where we try to get them as strong and as explosive as possible right before that season begins. And then from there, once they're actually in season and now they're performing a lot more practices, a lot more game time, a lot more tournaments, at that point, then we'll reduce these strength training sessions to one to two times a week. Um, so we significantly drop back. Whereas in the preseason, they're going for more from three to four sessions of strength per week. So we drop that down. And then not only that, within the actual sessions itself, we make sure to not uh, overload them with a bunch of volume. We don't try to fit 
as much volume as you can in, in those two days to try to increase strength or explosiveness. All we're trying to do in season is to try to do our best to maintain their strength levels as well as maintain their explosiveness throughout the entire season. Um, and there is definitely going to be a little bit of a drop off, but the, mo the but the better we can program for them in season to reduce that um, without increasing their chance for injury, the better. Right. That's the big thing that I was going to add is the making sure that you're managing the risk for injury in season yeah. um, a lot more. Obviously, you always want to manage risk for injury, but you can go a little bit more aggressive with volume, a little bit more aggressive with weight in the off season. But the last thing that you, an athlete that should happen to an athlete is that they get injured in the weight room. Right. An athlete yeah. should only get injured in a contact injury on the field. <laughs> like that should be the only reason that an athlete gets hurt. If they get injured in the weight room, that's like, it's so, so unfortunate when that happens because they're not, they weren't even doing their sport. They were trying to do something that was going to better them for their sport. Totally. So yeah. Really keep that in mind, especially in season is like, just continue to weigh the, the risk uh, reward benefits of the exercises that you're giving and of the volume that you're giving. Um, and we try to be a little bit more on the conservative side um, with our athletes. We also have a lot of football players. Um, we have a lot of players from the Boston Renegades, which is a women's tackle football league. Yep. Um in the off season, we push them really hard. Yeah, definitely. really, really hard. And we like we do workouts. I watch them, and I'm like, I don't want to do this yeah. myself. <laughs> it's really, really hard. And then on the in season, they continue to work hard, but it's just a different kind of work. It's more mindful. It's a little bit. Um, it's less intense. It's just a little bit more about, like Jason was saying, maintaining the strength that they built and maintaining their power for that season without putting them at risk. Yeah, and like you know, we'll still touch. Um, some higher strength percentages. So we might go for 90%, but hit it for a single. So they don't feel taxed or fried or nervous system fatigued. Um, whereas during preseason, we'll hit 90% for multiple sets of triples. So we're definitely not taking away all stimulus and taking away all volume. We're still touching upon those, but just much more in, in a much more like reasonable fashion so that they can recover um, very quickly and it's just not as strenuous on them. Right, because part of managing risk is maintaining strength. Yeah, absolutely. So that's also another thing to consider is not only are, do you need to manage it in terms of not giving them too much, but also in terms of giving them enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, one other um, little specific um, nuance that we can go into is, you know, for example, for the ultimate frisbee again, um, and for most field sports, it requires a very heavy shin angle. So if you're dropping down and decelerating and cutting, your knees go way over your toes and you really have to get down low in order to change your direction really quickly. And so it, let's say in the off season or preseason, we'll do a, a lot of stuff where we intentionally have them split squat or single leg squat where their knees are going over their toes and we're doing eccentric motions and isometric motions in this position. But then we know that during this actual season, because they're getting so much of that, we want to back off some of that stuff. And we actually want to incorporate exercises that um, do the, not the opposite motion, but target muscles in the opposite motion. So we try to incorporate more of a um, vertical shin angle. So we'll have them be, let's say, in a Romanian deadlift or a hamstring curl, but basically more targeted glute and hamstring work to counteract a lot of the knee forward quad work that happens on the field. So it's just different different needs happen throughout the course of the seasons. And uh, these are just some of the nuances that we like to consider and think about as uh, an athlete progresses through their um, season. Yeah. Yeah. 
All right. Cool. cool. All right. So I think those are all of the answers that we have to your burning questions for today. Thank you so much for submitting those. And if you have more questions of your own, you can send us a message at Achieve Fitness Boston on Instagram. And if you like the podcast and you wouldn't mind leaving us an iTunes review, we'd be super grateful for that. I think we got four reviews uh, last time you we mentioned did? that. Oh, so. because I asked for Yelp reviews. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should have done that yeah. again. Um, oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much for everybody who reviewed it. Really does make a huge difference and it warms our hearts as well. So. Yes. <laughs> Um, all right, and until next time, peace, love, and, and muscles. muscles.